When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. If Mike Zimmer's got as much sway personnel-wise as we all assume, especially defensively, one way to free up a lot of money to keep some of those defenders is trading away that wide receiver. And I just... I think you sell high. I think it makes sense after the year that Stefan had, and, and you bring up how he played in lieu of Adam Thielen, it was really well. And so I think if you sell high on that, try to get another first-round pick for him somewhere. Um, I don't think you have to cater to Stefan and trade him where he wants to go. If Buffalo wants to give up a first-round pick, do it. It does not make sense to have two star wide receivers in an offense that's going to throw among the, the fewest times in the NFL. It just doesn't make sense. Andrew Kramer back in February on this show called it. He called the location and he called the price tag. A first round pick. We are here now in the post Stefan Diggs era of the Purple Daily Show. Welcome in Matthew Collar, uh, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. A big show today. We have Bill Barnwell coming on at 2.30 to break down who won the trade and some other moves around the NFL. And former Bills receiver, he also used to do media in Buffalo, Donald Jones, who once upon a time did a podcast with me breaking down film of Stefan Diggs, and now Diggs is on his former team. So he joined Joins us at 3.30. But I want to start out, Courtney, with going through the Diggs timeline of how we got here. Because fans love to sort of jump right to, did we win the trade? I don't know if we won the trade. Is that enough draft picks? Would Madden allow you to do this? And But I want to go back to how we got here. Because we've just been saying, he's not happy, he's not happy, he's not happy. But the explanations for why he isn't happy are less hard to pin down. So I want you to tell me where you think the starting point of the unhappiness is. And I want to see if we agree on this. Well, I would like to start back with OTAs and house problems. Is that a fair place? Would you like to start there, too? So I was going to go back even farther than that. I was going to go back to early in the 2018 season, Vikings at Jets, where the Vikings handily defeat Sam Darnold and the pathetic Jets. But after the game, my understanding is that Mike Zimmer went bananas about their lack of run game. And then even at the podium, he revealed to the media that he was very frustrated with their lack of run game. And I don't know if that is the moment for Stefan Diggs where it started, but I think that that is central to the reason why he is not here anymore, that the offense was not based around him and Adam Thielen, rather based around a running game. Well, 
if you think back to what the offense looked like in 2018, John Filippo was the greatest thing that could have ever happened for Stephon Diggs. I mean, both Thielen and Diggs having 1,000-yard seasons, seasons that year, that's huge. And that's credit to the scheme that they were in. Now, you do bring up a good point. I, I started with OTAs just because at that point we knew something was not right you don't. I, I know these are voluntary workouts, but they're not really like. Mm-hmm. It looks mm-hmm. weird if you're not there, unless you're Kyle Rudolph and you know you're you're off at a Walter Payton Man of the Year golf event. Like there's certain things you're excused for, but working out on your own, honestly, unless you are about to enter contract negotiations or you're trying to hold out or force your hand, it just doesn't happen. So that's why I started with that. But I think you're in a good point going back to the Week Seven win over the Jets because that was certainly where the divorce started for Mike Zimmer and John DeFilippo. Because they go there, they put up, what, 37 points on the road, something like that? Yep. And they, I mean, it was not a great game. It was ugly. It was windy. Uh, Dan Bailey missed a few field goals, I think. Um, And, you know, at the end of the day, they were terrible on third down. Yep. Um, I could just go on and on. Struggled in the red zone. Yes, how bad that game actually was. But they won. But Mike Zimmer was very unhappy by the fact that they didn't run the ball enough to his liking. I think that's probably where this whole thing unfolds, that regardless of – it doesn't have to do with Kirk Cousins. I, I really don't believe that. I think that that's part of it, but that's not the main thing. The philosophy here that the Vikings have said is not going to change in 2020, the one that they built around with Gary Kubiak, Kevin Stefanski, it all started last year. This is exactly what Mike Zimmer wants. It's how he wants to win football games. It's how he believes this team can win football games. And Diggs has been not quiet about the fact that it just doesn't jive well with him. So, you know, that's a good place to start. Um, You know, you can even take it beyond that. Think about what happened in that Week 17 game uh, to the Bears, against the Bears, the loss to the Bears at home. You have Thielen and Kirk's route running clinic, and, you know, those two are snapping at each other on the sideline. And then you see Diggs pleading, saying, it's on me, throw it to me. Mm -hmm. Like, pleading with Kirk Cousins in that moment. And I think he felt that his voice fell on deaf ears. I think that at that moment, too, that's at least one that sticks out to me because I I can just play the highlights in my head of Diggs trying to keep everything together on the sideline while it appeared that the rest of his offense was falling apart, really just coming to a head. At that point, I think he felt, my voice is not going to be heard here. I am not going to be able to do what I want to do in the prime of my career, at this point of my career, in Minnesota, and I should start at least trying to look towards leaving. Yeah, I agree with you that the way that the 2018 season went sideways plays a role in this because you have to remember that now we're looking at it like, well, you know, they came off a decent season where they won a playoff game and so forth. We're very far removed from the feeling of 2017 and 2018 back-to-back and how disappointing that was. Um, Maybe some OG listeners would remember a certain host on this station having a meltdown about Kirk Cousins talking about hot routes, um, but you know the the reason that that mel- code words that that's right. Uh, that, yeah, words. that's right. It wasn't hot routes; it was code words. I'm sorry, <laughs> um, but you know the reason that that rant came was because. Cousins, in his final press conference, didn't really acknowledge how disappointing the season was. We spent that entire training camp pumping this team up. They have Cousins now. The offense is going to be out of this world. They're going back to the NFC Championship at worst. This team is stacked. And to come up short and win only eight games and miss the playoffs the way that they did, I think was 
a, a big warning sign to what was to come in terms of them not being a Super Bowl contender anymore and having peaked in 2017. And Courtney, I believe that part of Stefan Diggs' frustration is that he just doesn't believe they can win and maybe didn't believe that they could win going into 2019, even though he played his tail off if you look at any of the numbers or watched him play any of those games. He certainly did not take plays off or anything else like that. He gave it 100% and dominated uh, when they decided they were going to throw the ball, but it ended in the same sort of extremely disappointing fashion out in San Francisco, and if you're looking at the situation now with a lot of the players that Diggs has spent his whole career with believing in that locker room that they could go and win a Super Bowl, and now a lot of them are gone, that would also play into it in my mind, is that the, the losing part of it I think was really tough on him. Well, it's tough on everybody. I just think that that's not a fair cop-out, that one player gets upset about losing and what the trajectory looks like. And well, I have the leverage, or at least I think I have the leverage, to try to force my way out of here. I don't buy that. I think that he doesn't think he can win with Kirk Cousins. That's the bottom line here. Otherwise, you don't post something like that on social media. You can't tell me it's just coincidental timing. What he said yesterday, and he clearly knew from his agents, uh, otherwise you don't go ahead and hedge your bets that way and put it all on the line, being Mm -hmm. like, no, I think something's going to happen. Like, clearly he felt and had concrete belief that something legit was in the works. Um, And to the point where he's at now, you know, the tweet about it's time for new beginnings, and then he hasn't really responded to too many people being like, Diggs, why are you being so moody? Why are you doing this, that, and the other thing on social media? He did yesterday, though. Be yeah. someone questioned, being like, gosh, we, it's, you know, it, it's like Groundhog Day. We see the same thing every single day, and I'm obviously paraphrasing what this person said on Twitter, but he's like, nah, it's different this time. Something's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but to me, the timing of when he put out that first tweet, the fact that it was hours after Kirk Cousins got the contract extension, which is very much the Vikings say, we believe in Kirk Cousins. We believe in the direction that this team is going. Now, whether you believe in that, whether I believe in that, that's moot. It's what the team thinks. And he wanted no part of that. I don't know how you can bring somebody like that back into your locker room after that. I don't think the Vikings had a choice but to trade him. And certainly we can get into the the capital that they got and everything else and the return and whether it was great. But the situation was deteriorating quickly. Um, there's truth to all rumors is what we found out. And this is not something that was ever going to go away. Going back to week four with a 16-6 loss in Chicago when he's slamming his helmet on the ground, stomping up and down, he's visibly frustrated because Kirk's checking down to C.J. Ham on third down yeah. in Chicago yep. and missing Adam Thielen wide open on the same play that they ran in New Orleans for that 43-yard reception that set up their win to go to San Francisco. Um it was it was past time that something we found out something were to happen and that Diggs would be able to split and both sides would get to just move on. Um, I know what Andrew said at the top of the show, and I agree with him. This is an offense where two star receivers, two alpha dogs, are not going to be able to thrive at the receiver position. This is an offense predicated on the run. Dalvin Cook, this is his offense. He is the star. And now Adam Thielen, we're going to find out what he's really made of because he's not going to have Stephon Diggs over on the other side getting doubled um, or you know facing bracket coverage or anything like that. And he's going to be the true number one. Now we will find out really what he's worth. Um, and, and that's no slight on Adam. I just think that that's the fact of the matter. You do now have one true number one receiver in this offense. Um, and Diggs gets to go do that in Buffalo and in a place where he 
doesn't really have to fight. I mean, it's not going to be too hard to muscle out Cole Beasley and John Ross, or excuse me, John Brown for that job. Um, that's his. So I'm not surprised the way things played out the way they did. I know that there have been people who have who have questioned, you know, I've gotten a lot of responses on Twitter this morning, Matthew, just about... Just about... Did we lose oh, sorry. Recording? Sorry, you lost me there for like one oh. half a second. Oh, okay. Um... Apologies. Um, just about the fact that, like, with what you and I were talking about the last few weeks, that no way in hell he's going to get traded or, you know, nothing's going to happen here. The Vikings have remained steadfast that they're not going to trade him. They weren't going to trade him just to move him off the books just because he was unhappy. He is a darn good player. He is in his prime. He has an incredible contract. You're not going to move somebody like that unless you're going to get something great back in return. So... I'm not surprised the way that this unfolded yesterday. I think everything started to align once we saw how he truly felt about Kirk Cousins' contract extension and that enough was enough. He didn't want to be part of it anymore, and he was going to force his hand no matter what because if it didn't happen yesterday, it was going to happen at some point, and it would have just ended up being a bigger mess. I, I think the Vikings did the right thing, and, and they certainly came out on top. Well, let's go back on the timeline. So at OTAs, uh, he... Has claims that he has some housing issue, and that's why he didn't show up. And house problems. I think house problems. And we all looked at each other and went, uh, this doesn't sound right. I've never heard that before. Never have I heard an athlete skip OTAs, which they usually don't do anyway, as you mentioned, that they're not uh, voluntary, um, that even if they say that they are. So usually uh, if they don't show up, it's for some team excuse type of absence or it's about a contract. And from my understanding, this was never really about Stefan Diggs's contract. Maybe it was, um, but it doesn't. I haven't heard anything I don't think, like that. I don't think he was happy with the deal that he signed. And you know, I, I know I, it's just like it's amazing. All these things keeps popping up in my mind. Back in, I'm going to take it back one step really quick about before we get into OTAs. Adam Thielen signs that extension in April of last year, um, and quickly. It trumps what what Diggs was making on his extension that he signed in training camp the previous season. Now, I'm not saying Diggs was not happy for Adam Thielen, but I do feel that he's probably regretting the deal that he signed because there were a lot of team-friendly deals that came into play that summer. Eric Kendricks, Daniil Hunter, and then Stephon Diggs. So the promise that they got from ownership that the direction and what they were sold on, the vision, the direction, um, makes a ton of sense of why he would have taken that team-friendly deal. I don't think that started to sit well with him when he saw what other receivers were making around the league, particularly yeah. the guy opposite him on his own team. Yeah, and then there's also the fact that you know if he doesn't put up the type of statistics that the others do in terms of total targets and total catches, even if he is just as efficient but his team is not throwing the ball very often, it's hard to make that case for a reworked contract for more money. But I didn't get the sense throughout this whole thing that it was contract related at its heart like it might have been heart, part no, of it i agree with that. Yeah. i agree with you there so the ota so the ota thing was weird but then when we got into training camp at first it seemed like everything was going all right and all right they're putting in this offense and Diggs is absolutely demolishing xavier rhodes on a daily basis as he has always done in camp even when rhodes was at his best but then there were a few moments, Courtney, during training camp 
where you and I, in fact, we even talked about this. I remember it specifically because we got a bunch of tweets after. Um, but we talked about something is not right here with Stefan Diggs because in the night practice, he got in a fight, if you remember, I think with Mackenzie Alexander. Mackenzie Alexander, yep. That was more than just the usual barking at each other. Like he had to be held back by Mike Zimmer, I think, that day. And then there was another time where Kirk Cousins checked down and didn't throw him the ball on a deep ball. And Cousins stood on the entire other side side of the field when Diggs walked off and I remember Diggs we could hear it all the way from the sideline screaming right exactly in a word that we can't say on the radio in frustration of Cousins not throwing the ball and all these things started to build up to week four which was in my mind the peak of this entire thing and when we knew that there was a very realistic possibility he would not be a Viking for much longer in which he has the meltdown on the sideline in Chicago and then does not show up for practice and comes back and says there's truth to all rumors. At that point, even though they moved on from it, and Zimmer told me at the uh, Combine when I asked him in our media scrum, I said, you know, what do you think of all these things about you know Stephon Diggs? And he said, oh, after that one little thing, it was no big deal. Like, <laughs> okay, Mike, but that was not a small thing. That was a huge thing. Right. And so that to me was the peak of this. And that never disappeared. It was always bubbling under the surface the entire rest of the way. And I think that the last straw was San Francisco, because when you watch the tape back, he's open all day long and Kirk Cousins will not throw him the ball. And that I would imagine is peak frustration of a team that appeared to reach the end of its rope in terms of being a Super Bowl contender and losing out there in San Francisco when he is open and still can't get his quarterback to throw it to him. Yeah, I mean, that's that's clearly the end of the line for Diggs. And, you know, the tweets started up, the, the social media speculation when he started, when all of his Vikings photos went away on Instagram and then a series of cryptic tweets on Twitter um, in February. So that game, he was so, he was, he remember the first quarter and that incredible sideline catch he had in the touchdown? Yes. He was two, yeah. two for 57 and one touchdown. After that catch, we did not hear from him. Uh, at all, we didn't. We didn't see anything. And you know, I remember in the locker room. I think he got out. He was. He did a scrum with us at one point. He was one of the last ones to get out of like the shower and all that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and I was it there. was just yep. you know we were we were just talking to him about you know well what's next for you? Um, knowing that this is still kind of like the elephant in the room. Like this didn't just go away. I know what Mike Zimmer said, but like this didn't just go away after week four. So that week in itself should be broken down because I remember. We find out that he's not at practice, and then it's like, well, why isn't he at practice? And then the injury report comes out, and it's non-injury related. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, gosh, like, what now? So I remember getting on the phone and making calls and, and really you know, trying to figure out, wrap my head around this whole thing and figure out just what was going on. And to my knowledge at that point, the one thing that came, kept coming back was people saying, he wants to be the guy. He wants. He's yep. not happy in this yep. offense because I have a lot of people asking on Twitter. Well, why is he unhappy? What What was the crux of it? It's the whole philosophy of the way that the Vikings want to win here, and they are going a way that's just not the trend in the league right now. Um, sure, you have to have a strong running game uh, by any stretch to be successful, but the way that the Vikings are doing this is just not prototypical for you know the majority of thirty one other teams, and so. 
it's long been known, at least, you know, behind the scenes, that Diggs wants to be the alpha male. He wants to be the outright alpha male. When you are that good, it is frustrating when teams are doubling you because they're leaving Adam Thielen open because, frankly, they feel like Adam Thielen is an easier one-on-one matchup because Diggs is that darn good incredible route runner, can take the top off the defense, can line up in a slot, he can be your ex, he can be, you know, anywhere. Like, he is that talented. And so, I think that it just kind of boiled over from there, and we saw this slowly come to a head, where I do believe it was, hey, just come back, you know, we're going to find you, because that's Mike Zimmer, um, you know, that was, he, you know, his, his prerogative, too, to find him $200,000, but come back, We'll figure it out. We'll get as far as we can. We'll talk about trading you next offseason. How many times did you and I talk about that scenario playing yep. out? That many, we are, many. We are in a holding pattern right now with Stephon Diggs. And that's not to say, yet again, because there's so many people being like, well, you guys said he was never going to get traded. I didn't say he was going to get traded for a fourth-round pick, a second-round pick, and, and David Johnson's $10.2 million, $10. million salary. I didn't say it was going to be something that stupid. I said it was going to be for something that is worthwhile to the Vikings. Neither you or I ever thought this was a great idea in theory because you don't trade a player of his caliber away at this point in his career with a trajectory as sky high as it is. But when, when, but when you've exhausted all options, when, when the call comes in and it's something that you could help build your team and continue to build your team, you can't say no. Well, and that's what, if they were going to trade him, they had to do it for something that was going to be a really good haul, which is what they got. And we'll break that down eventually here on the show, especially with Bill Barnwell when he comes on in about 10 minutes. Um, but in terms of how things played out toward the end of the season with them and their relationship with Diggs, it seemed like everybody knew where each other stood, but the Vikings had been turning down offers because they weren't getting good enough offers, I'm sure. And also, they needed to try and win. They couldn't trade him after week four when they have a team that can make the playoffs and have a shot once they get into the postseason. There was too much talent on this team to just be sending off a number one wide receiver. And the reason that I was always skeptical, even despite Diggs's shenanigans on Twitter and so forth, which a lot is just that there was more attention paid to it. I've said this before, but he's always been weird on Twitter. I mean, the entire time... I've covered him. He's had weird tweets and we've asked him about them and he's never really wanted to explain. But now there was a lot more attention on the weird tweets. Um, But I think we all knew that this situation could go this way. But I looked at it as if you're going to sign Kirk Cousins to a contract extension, you have to find a way to go to Stefan Diggs and say, let's work this out. There's a 17 game season coming your way. Maybe we restructure your contract soon and make sure that you get more cash in your hand in the future or something. I would have thought that it would be smart for them to make sure that they keep one of the best receivers in the NFL because replacing that receiver is really difficult. And ask yes. any Vikings fan between Randy Moss and Stefan Diggs how that all went for you. You can go in the NFL years and years with never finding a receiver of this level of talent, who, as you mentioned, is an elite route runner, one of the best at contested catches. And I am certain if they throw him the ball 100 times or 140 times next year, he's going to go to the Pro Bowl and he's going to have top-notch statistics. People in the NFL have compared him to me to uh, Antonio Brown. 
Brown in terms of his actual skill, but circumstance has determined what his fantasy stats are. We've always battled with people over this, and then when he gets the 100-catch season, that conversation sort of disappeared, and then last year when Thielen was hurt, he put it completely to bed by just annihilating teams when he was still the only one receiver, and yeah, that's part of it for sure, that if you believe, if you're Stephon Diggs, that you should have those numbers, you should have those accolades, you should be going to the Pro Bowls and so forth, and he certainly is capable of that and has put those numbers up when they've thrown the ball, but you're not getting it enough, yeah, the frustration is going to build. And I guess sometimes I've thought over the last, I don't know, 12 hours since this happened or how many ever hours, I guess I've thought, hmm, I wonder if they had lost that game in New Orleans and made Kevin Stefanski the head coach where we would stand with this. Would it be exactly the same? I don't think it would be. I think it would be different. And that really makes you wonder, wait, did they choose a head coach's direction over a star player in the league? Like, Is that what happened here? Well, I think the one thing that we do know is they chose Kirk Cousins. Very obviously, they chose Kirk Cousins over Stephon Diggs. And they weren't going to put up with, um, you know, they just weren't going to budge on anything. They're not changing the offense because he wanted it a certain way. They back their quarterback, which is why the team is 1,000% believes it's in win-now mode, which I know we're going to get to, but um, it chose its quarterback over its star receiver. And that's a decision I think that a lot of teams would make nine times out of ten because quarterbacks are what win you games in this league. And I mean, I'm not – take this for what it's worth. The Vikings certainly think that they can win with Kirk Cousins. Otherwise, you don't give him a deal that has 61 guaranteed at signing. Sure. You just yeah. don't. So, you know. What, what I don't get, though, is – you're it's you're sort of siding with your quarterback, but then you're making his life worse and harder. And that's not a thing you generally want to do to your quarterback. And also, you're not going to throw a ton of passes, and yet you're paying your quarterback this much money. Like the, All these things don't exactly add up to fit together. So let's talk when we come back with Bill Barnwell of ESPN and hope that uh, mid-stream uh, we don't get a Tom Brady announcement that Bill Barnwell has to run <laughs> and write. But that seems to be going a certain direction. So we'll get uh, Diggs trade analysis, Tom Brady analysis, and what is next for the Vikings with ESPN's Bill Barnwell, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin. You're listening to Purple Daily. Hey, Scornoth listeners. It's Phil Mackey here for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, which is here to give business owners that peace of mind that you need When you've built a company with your blood, your sweat, your tears, maybe not your blood, but whatever, like you built a company and you want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover if needed, recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Federated has a century of experience in helping business owners. You can find out more about the industries Federated protects at their website, federatedinsurance.com. And remember, Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. The Score North Spring Auction is underway with great items up for grabs on home improvement, family fun, hunting, lodging, and more. To view all the items and place your bid, visit scorenorth.com, keyword auction over at scorenorth.com as well. We've got all the Stefan Diggs reaction coverage that you could ever want, including a post-Diggs trade draft sim from our own Matthew Collar. He did that about six hours ago. That's over at scorenorth.com. It's leading the coverage right now. we got also Judd Zulgad's reaction to it and Matthew Collar's instant reaction to Kirk Cousins' deal from yesterday. That's over at scorenorth.com. All your Vikings and NFL free agency news is right over there for free over at scorenorth.com. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. 
Thank you very much, Jonathan. We welcome into the show now Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin here on Purple Daily. We welcome in Bill Barnwell of ESPN, who I'm sure is very busy these days. And we're hoping that we don't get <laughs> official Tom Brady news and you have to run and write 7,000 words about it. Bill, how are you? <laughs> hey, how's it going? Um, it's crazy. It's just nuts. Uh, I, I gotta tell you. So yesterday, I mean, if just Kirk Cousins had signed an extension, that would have been an entire day's worth of work. But then Anthony Harris gets franchise tagged and now might be traded. Uh, they re-signed a foot, uh, fullback, a punter, and then Stefan Diggs gets traded just as I'm about to watch Better Call Saul. So it was a, <laughs> a really wild day. I want to start with you with the Stefan Diggs trade to Buffalo. Uh, Bill, I think in a bubble, it's a good return. But anytime you are pretty much forced to trade a really, really excellent football player, that's not great for your team. So what was your reaction? My reaction was, if this was going to happen, which it seemed like for the better part of at least a year, if not two years now, it was on the verge of happening or it was rumored to be happening, I think this was the right time. I think you get a an opportunity to replace Stephon Diggs in the draft if you're so inclined. This was a fantastic draft class, an incredibly deep draft class for wide receivers. So you can possibly have, you know, uh, with two first-rounders, two third-rounders, they can trade down if they want to. Uh, but they should be able to get at least one receiver who can hopefully step into their rotation behind Adam Thielen. Uh, you mentioned the C.J. Ham signing. This is a place where now they can transition to using more uh, 12 personnel, more 22 personnel, and get bigger players on the field and not need that second whiteout quite as frequently. I think it aligns with what they want to do on offense. And obviously, you know, losing Stephon Diggs, not ideal. I mean, he's a great player. I think you want to try and make him work within your organization. But it sort of felt like a fresh start might be good for both sides. Can he win in Buffalo? I know that they were a playoff team last year, but he goes from Kirk Cousins to Josh Allen as his quarterback, and Josh Allen has more accuracy issues than a lot of quarterbacks in this league. Like, What is he walking into there? Certainly he gets to be the number one, so great, box checked. But the type of situation, is it going to be as roses and, and you know green grass as maybe he thinks it's going to be? I think at first, but I think there's going to be a honeymoon period, and then there's going to be – you know, that game where he doesn't get the ball as much as he wants or the passes he gets are not especially accurate. And how he handles that situation is going to be a real test for Stephon Diggs and for the Buffalo Bills. And, hey, remember, everyone has lauded the Bills for building a great culture in Buffalo, and they have. Two playoff runs in three years for a Bills team that was going nowhere before Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean got there. And pretty much every move they've made, has gone well. The one exception was they almost traded for Antonio Brown last offseason. Ended up getting John Brown, Cole Beasley. Their offense looked very good. Now, you ask Stephon Diggs, obviously it's a huge talent upgrade, but is he going to upset that culture? And if the Bills do struggle, even if it's not Stephon Diggs' fault, is he going to be the one who gets blamed for the Bills not having as good of a season in 2020 as they had in 2019? This is always a, a tough one for me, uh, Bill, when people ask me about Diggs and the culture issue and whether he's a good teammate, because teammates, they love playing with Stefan Diggs because of his competitiveness and the effort that he brings. And 
in some ways, I look at it, I don't know how much of a basketball guy you are, but like Jimmy Butler here where it's like Stefan was right, though. Like, so, I mean, I know he was upset and I know some things that he did I would not co-sign to, but he was also right. Like, if you're building around a running back, that's not really the way to do it, especially when your quarterback is really expensive. And if your quarterback is afraid to throw the ball up for you and instead wants to check down to the fullback in key situations, you're right to be pretty upset there. So when he goes to Buffalo, yeah, it might not work out with Josh Allen. But I also think that that Buffalo team, now if Tom Brady is out of the division, has a pretty darn good chance to win the division next year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know... um, I think Stefan's going to grow up to some extent. I mean, obviously, you know, he's going to give the people there an opportunity to prove themselves to him. I think that, you know, he's going to be, you know, a rational person. And I think at the end of the day, I mean, this is a, you know, a player who is set financially, who does not have to prove himself, who wants to get the ball a ton. But every receiver wants to get the ball a ton. Every receiver, even every good receiver, has that in them where, hey, I want to get the ball in every key situation. I want to make plays you know, not just for me, for myself, but also for the good of my football team, because I'm going to do a better job of marching the ball downfield than checking the ball down to that slowback. So, um, you know, I, I think we're going to have to see how that balance works. I think it's going to be a situation where, you know, we might see some blowups here and there, but can Sean McDermott do a better job of managing those blowups and, and sort of, you know, normalizing them and making it, making it be part of a, a winning situation as opposed to sort of, you know, denormalizing them and making them seem like it's a big problem the way that Mike Zimmer did at times. I think that it's, you know, different coaches handle those situations differently. Bill, where do you see the Vikings right now? I know that there are a lot of people panic that, oh, man, they're headed towards a rebuild and they just paid Kirk Cousins all this money, three more years of this, blah, blah, blah. But also in that same vein, you just paid Kirk Cousins all that money. How can you not believe that this team thinks it's in win-now mode and can still maintain win-now mode despite shipping off one of its star players for a Hall of Picks? I think they're in great shape. You know, I think this is a very talented football team. Still work to do, of course, along the line of scrimmage on both sides of the football, you know, on the offensive line, on the defensive line, in terms of what happens with Everson Griffin. Of course, in the secondary, they have to you know, rebuild a cornerback. Their cornerbacks were terrible last year, and they were still a 10-win team. They still made it to the uh, divisional round of the NFC playoffs, still beat the Saints in New Orleans. It looked like they were a juggernaut uh, heading into the playoffs. I mean, this is a team that was so good on offense for chunks of the year, was so good in terms of creating pressure when they needed to in those playoff games uh, before the sort of second half of that Niners game. I mean, it is a a team where the the top-level talent is so good that if they stay healthy and they're productive, they are a Super Bowl contender to me. But having all those guys stay healthy and stay productive is tough. So I think that this trade of Stephon Diggs could add some valuable depth to those holes in the roster. So you don't have to rely on, say, Andrew and Sandejo coming back to play a meaningful role uh, in the spot in the postseason. They can add, they can use those five early picks to add meaningful players to this roster. Well, when those injuries do happen, the Vikings could have a better shot of competing with the guys they have as backups and third stringers. See, I look at a bill much more like 2021 would be the year that they would be able to be back to being legitimate contenders if they hit on some of these draft picks. Because, well, it is nice to be able to draft, say, two cornerbacks to add to your um, completely empty stable. 
asking those players to step in right away and be great is a pretty tough task. And I think history shows us um, that the 22nd and 25th pick, even recent Vikings history, oh yeah, Laquan Treadwell will just take over that role, as, <laughs> right? And hey, Mike Hughes, he's our next cornerback, and, and those guys um, so far have not worked out uh, when they were supposed to step in right away and uh, be able to fill in. So that's my biggest question, because I'm looking at this much more like when Kirk Cousins has had weapons taken away that he is not as good. The 2017 season is a good example of that. They didn't protect him as well. Deshaun Jackson left, Pierre Garçon left, and all of a sudden he's a 7-9 and nine quarterback. I tend to lean more toward that for their 2020 season unless there's something else big coming. That makes sense. I mean, the only thing I would say is that I'm not sure, even if you get your average first-round pick rookie cornerback, even if you get Mike Hughes from his rookie season before he got hurt, I think that's a step better than what we saw from Xavier Rhodes last year, what we might have seen from Trey Waynes at times last year, um, or, or the general cornerback play they had last year. I, I think that, you know, those guys could be better than, than what we saw in some places last season. And outside of wide receiver, I mean, you know, I, I don't think, you, or cornerback, you don't have to necessarily have those guys step in as day one starters. It might just be them developing into roles as the season goes on. And, you know, there are still a lot of reasonably young players on this roster who, you might expect to get better. Derek Bradbury, I would expect to be better in year two than he was in year one. Brian O'Neill, when healthy, I would expect to be better in, in year three than in year two. Irv Smith should play a bigger role in year two than year one. So I think the hope is that even though I, I agree with your point that you can't rely on those guys to be instant impact players, you'd hope that some of the young players that are breaking through would improve and then the guys who were drafted this year might be good in ancillary roles or rotation roles and not, and not have to be the primary focus at their respective positions. So we talked about one receiver trade. Uh, I'd like to get your take just because my brain still can't just can't fathom what's going on in Houston right now. Um, I guess maybe one is one way to look at this is this is what an experienced general manager, somebody who, you know, isn't splitting his time between coaching and being a general manager. It's how you do business. Um, And then the way that the situation unfolded with DeAndre Hopkins going to Arizona for David Johnson's $10.2 million guaranteed salary and a second and fourth round pick. Can, can you, can you rationalize it at all? Can you just, can you try to make me feel like I'm not crazy? Because I honestly feel crazy talking about this and I just don't, don't understand it. You don't think this is a win for the Texans? <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't think this is a clear, great move for the Texans? Here, if I'm going to rationalize it, here is how I'm going to rationalize it. And I sound, I, I feel very stupid even trying to do this, but I'm going to try it here. You would figure this is the best draft for wide receivers maybe in the last 15 years. That is the reputation and, and the depth with which this draft class has coming out. So you'd figure it's going to be a deep class for receivers. You can use one of the picks. I think they have two twos now and one three. Use one of those picks, draft a player who in the long run is going to figure in as part of your replacement for DeAndre Hopkins. Hopkins had been reportedly requesting a new contract with three years to go before free agency. That is tough to pull off. Uh, I mean, Julio Jones tried to do it, ended up getting a deal with two years to go before free agency. Maybe they would have done it. I think it's hard to say, but you know, if you don't think DeAndre Hopkins is a player who's going to age well and you want to get ahead of trading him, I think maybe you look towards making that trade. Now, granted, the other side of this in terms of compensation, in terms of picking up David Johnson's underwater contract is terrible, and there's no way to possibly justify it. I can't even pretend to play devil's advocate there. But 
I, you know, Bill O'Brien is someone who came up under Bill Belichick, and Bill Belichick historically has been very comfortable trading wide receivers when their price tag has been more than he's comfortable paying. It happened with Terry Glenn when he first got there. It happened with Deion Branch, and it happened with Randy Moss. When they were not useful to him, Bill Belichick traded them. I think the problem is Bill O'Brien traded the guy who is still incredibly useful in DeAndre Hopkins. How did he not get a first-round pick, though? That's what I'm really confused by. Like, I don't get it. That's the thing. Right. Like, like If you're the Bills and you're making that offer they just made for Stephon Diggs, which I think is reasonable. I think it was a, a, a win-win trade for both sides in terms of what they needed, where they are in their, their different roster constructions. Wouldn't you be comfortable making that same offer for DeAndre Hopkins? You'd think. I, I can't believe that they didn't get more. I mean, getting a running back is just hilarious. <laughs> it's just Getting a running back, a running running back, back coming back off injury. Contract, Coming off the injury, who has not been good in two years, who has $13 million guaranteed over the next two years, who, honestly, I thought the Cardinals were going to have to package a third or fourth round pick mm-hmm. just to get his his salary off their roster. Um, it, it wouldn't it, make any sense if it so was a good running back. Incredible. If it had been a great running right, back, it wouldn't make sense. Right. If it had been Ezekiel Elliott, I would be like, okay, well, that's a bad trade, but at least it's trading a star for a star. And right. O'Brien just doesn't know how positional scarcity works. It, it, it's, it, the example I gave in my column was, it's like, you know, someone offered you a thousand dollars for your VHS copy of Mr. Deeds. And then Steve Kahn <laughs> had the audacity, audacity to try and swap fourth round picks as part of the trade. And Bill O'Brien agreed to it. It's incredible. <laughs> it is, it is the, it, it is the, I'll tell you what. I mean, you guys are on the internet. You deal with trolls. You deal with contrarian people. I do the same thing. I have not seen a single person, a single person, even ironically, suggesting (laughs) this is a good trade for the Houston Texans. The most died in the wool, hardcore Texans fans have not been like, oh, this is a good trade. That's how bad it is. Even the internet agrees it's a bad trade. (laughs) Usually, who knew that Bill O'Brien could bring the internet together? Now, if he could get people to wash (laughs) their hands and stay out of public. Um, So this uh, from your two uh, people's cohort, Adam Schefter, the latest on Tom Brady. He says, I am also told there are more teams than people realize. Teams have gone through the scenario if they're better with their current quarterback or better with Tom Brady, which means the Vikings are trading Cousins and signing Brady. Does it not, Bill? <laughs> I mean, I believe, according to uh, your co-host, there's no no trade clause in right. Cousins. That's right. Just right. saying. And, to my understanding, it's yes, waived in 2020, I, so it starts now. Yes, and I mean, Kirk Cousins' deal is structured in such a way where in the past, or where it is, reasonably tradable. Now, they've still have a lot of dead money. I don't think this is going to happen, but, I mean, there are a lot of teams who I think are going to sit here and say, hey, this is our chance to make a move. If we're going to make a move, if you're the Bears, for example, you know, like, are we going to be really committed to Mitch Trubisky if Tom Brady is out there? I, You know, I, I, I think the Chargers and Buccaneers are still the favorites. It wouldn't shock me if the Buccaneers signed him tomorrow. But then again, yesterday, if they asked me this question at the same time, I said, oh, he's definitely signing with the Patriots. And now, Obviously, things have totally changed. So who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? Who's the uh, Patriots quarterback, Bill? Oh, boy. Are you asking me, like, who do I think it's going to be after they add someone? Or are you just asking me, like, a trivia question? Like, like do I know who the backup is? <laughs> it is Michael Bishop. Michael Bishop is the quarterback. Bishop. That's right. Rohan Davey is ready to step <laughs> in the Patriots this year. Good poll. Uh, it Good is Jared Stidham, who is a, a, pro, you know, a project quarterback, took a big uh, step backwards in his last year at Auburn. 
Um, That's you know, exciting. Work out great. I don't know. I don't know if anybody knows if he's going to be good or not. But I mean, we saw Cam Newton hit the trade market today. Uh, we, we we've seen you know Teddy Bridgewater come off the market, Marcus Mariota come off the market, Ryan Tannehill come off the market. Uh, but a lot of guys out there who are still reasonable possibilities for the Patriots. So. They don't have a ton of cap room. They've really used a lot of their cap space in the first couple of days with franchising Joe Thune, possibly for a sign and trade and signing Devin McCourty. But, you know, I mean, could they hijack the Philip Rivers move the, Col- the Colts seem to be making? Uh, could they, you know, go after a trade candidate like an Andy Dalton? Those, you know, that, that's not an exciting name for Patriots fans, but mm-hmm. it's probably better than starting a rookie who's only played a handful of snaps. So, uh, there's not a good way to replace Tom Brady. Well, the the best, Patriots are going to have to find a way to do it. The best part, Bill, is that it's not even close to over. I mean, sometimes the, no. we get a hot first day, and then we sort of just peter out after that. We have a long way to go, and we here in Sports Talk Radio need that at the moment. So yes. it's uh, exciting times. Yes, nice to have something to talk about as we're all sitting here at home or, or in the studio. But, uh, yeah, I hope you guys are staying safe and washing your hands. Yeah, same to you, Bill. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time um, on a very busy day, I'm sure, for you. And we'll talk to you again soon, man. Anytime, guys. Yep, take care. Bill Barnwell there. You can follow him. Uh, all of his work on ESPN does uh, incredible breakdowns. Now, we got to talk about what he said right off the top, that he thinks that the Vikings in 2020 should yep. still be serious contenders and I just can't help but balk at that, Courtney, especially if they have to move Anthony Harris. And then if we go down the list of if we just think about it in a wins above replacement type of um, way, how much this adds up to when if Everson Griffin can't be afforded and he goes and signs somewhere else, you're losing eight sacks and 66 pressures. Best of luck replacing that. You're losing the league leader in interceptions. Not so easy to replace that. You have to replace two corners, which I know one of them was very poor last year, but Trey Waynes has been a league average corner, and league average is good. It's not great, but it's certainly better than terrible. This uh, free agency, too. Right. Being average at that position, given the class, is uh, a lucrative decision. Right, exactly. So, I mean, if you don't replace that with average, then you get worse at the cornerback position, and you don't have safeties to help bail you out. If uh, if Anthony Harris is not here, your left tackle is still not good. Your left guard situation is a disaster at this moment. And now you only have one receiver who's proven on the entire roster – that takes me to a, a difficult place in seeing them being a Super Bowl contender. I could certainly see nine and seven or ten and six as the ceiling for them, but Super Bowl contender to me is way too aggressive. I think there's still a lot of work to be done, and Bill Bill agrees with that too. I mean, if we're looking big picture, we're assuming in a way that they have addressed all of these needs, right? Like you can't you can make all of these picks. You can get all of these picks. You can make all of these moves in free agency. But if you don't address the offensive line again, and I know I feel like a broken record every single year at this time being like, well, priority number one, priority number one, and it just doesn't ever seem to truly come together because of the way they've been piecemealing this thing. That's why I feel like you need to trade for Trent Williams or you need to make a splash and trade up and go get Mekhi Becton. Like, you have the draft capital now to do it, either via free agency or via the draft. That's got to be the way that you combat this because you're right. They have a lot of holes to fix on this roster. They're not done in free agency. I think that that would be a short-sighted way to look at it. Be like, well, they've got anywhere from, I know a lot of people are projecting either like almost $12 million to nearly $15 million in cap space, what have you. Um, 
they have room to make moves right now, and they still have to sign their draft class, but I just don't think that they're done in free agency. Now, will this defense look different? Yes. Will parts of this offense look different? Yes. But you do have the resources now to at least try to be aggressive and go get what you want to fix those holes. They have many holes, and they know that, but they're nowhere near done. Like I think to project them out today to say they're a Super Bowl contender is probably too early. But to say that they're in a full-on rebuild – especially when you just gave Kirk Cousins $61 million guaranteed at signing in this contract, and it's a th- you know, in total a three-year $96 million deal with all of this new money that comes in these final two years, you don't make a move like that if you don't believe that you're in win-now mode. Why would you? You would go ahead and let Kirk, if you really felt like you needed to blow this thing up and be ready for 2021, you would not give Kirk this deal, you would let him play out the entirety of that contract, let him walk in free agency, test the market, what have you, in 2020, and you draft a quarterback high this year, you still do the digs trade and get all those picks and just start building for the future. You're Mm -hmm. not necessarily drafting for need, you'd be drafting best player available uh, and, and using draft capital to trade up and get into the top 10, top 15 to be active to get an offensive lineman there. I don't believe, though, the optics of it would allow you to even think for for a second that they don't believe they're in win now. Now, whether you and I believe they're in win now is one thing, but at the end of the day, my opinion doesn't mean anything. Well, when those things don't match up, when well, when reality versus what you think doesn't match up, that's what gets you into trouble. That's what gets you into for sure. It's short sighted. But yeah. do we? But we don't. We can't. We will not be able to say that yet until we see the rest of the move. Rest of the moves they make in free agency and in the draft. Like they're just getting started with this. Like it's still very early. Free agency hasn't even started yet. We're very much still in the negotiation window for just about another twenty-four hours. I'd say this time tomorrow, if another move has not been made. You know, start thinking about okay, well, well, who are they going to have to cut to potentially get a little bit more cap space so they can be active in free agency? What's the deal with Everson Griffin? What are they going to do with the corners? Like, there's a lot of ways that this roster can still be fixed and still be be able to keep your own players because they have the money to do so right now. It's just what's that next big splash if there is one that's going to come for this team because they certainly need it. Um, and they have the resources now to be able to do it. It's just, are they going to? The biggest moves that we're going to see, or the biggest moves that are going to be judged more harshly are the moves that come after Kirk Cousins' extension and Stephon Diggs being traded. Let me ask you this question three minutes before the break. So uh, maybe we can kick it around more on the other side if we have to. I, I asked uh, Judd and Phil yesterday if the general manager and head coach were under contract for the next 10 years would they have extended Kirk Cousins or would they have taken a different approach to this where they play it out for 2020 with Cousins and then go a different direction with a new quarterback? Well, I think now we need to, I'm just going to say this first. Now I think you need to look at what's going to happen for Zimmer and Spielman. Are they going to get a contract extension? It feels almost inevitable that if you extend your quarterback, you're probably looking in line for an extension for Dalvin Cook that all four of them would get some sort of assurance that beyond 2020 they'll be fine. Um, now, if, if both of them had already gotten a contract extension, I don't know that these moves are made. I don't know that Mike Zimmer wants Kirk Cousins as his quarterback uh, long term. I don't know that Rick Spielman hasn't, you know, I mean, he, he, he may view this as I didn't hit on this one. But, you know, from the comments that we saw released by the Vikings today, I mean, what are you going to say? But um, they agreed to this deal. Like, if they, if they didn't, 
believe that this could this offense, or at least the philosophy that Gary Kubiak has in being able to scheme around Kirk Cousins' weaknesses, if they didn't believe that it was possible to win that way, I just don't think you sign him to a contract extension at all. Okay, what do you got, Jonathan? Schefter just tweeting out that uh, the Chargers quarterback, or former Chargers quarterback, Phillip Rivers, and the Colts reached an agreement on a one-year deal per source. Oh. Okay. All right. So that was kind of the expected move yes. that Philip Rivers would go and play for Frank Reich. And, uh, you know, that NFC, or I'm sorry, that AFC, AFC self is pretty wonky at the moment. You can't really trust Houston, but they still have Deshaun Watson. Now this makes Indianapolis a pretty legit contender for the division. The Tennessee Titans, you would expect Ryan Tannehill to regress, but how much he's going to regress with a team that's very good is hard to figure out. But uh, this was one that we all had pegged from pretty much the very moment Phillip Rivers moved out of uh, San Diego to Florida with his family and pretty much said, okay, it's over. And then they announced that he wouldn't be coming back, that we all pointed to the Indianapolis Colts, and now that is nearly official since Adam Shafter is reporting it. Yep, and uh, it's one less spot. Not that not that Indianapolis was really rumored at all, but I know uh, Philip Rivers had been rumored for a couple months now since he moved his family back to Florida. Maybe Tampa Bay was a spot where he would go. I'm really curious about you know what what's been said that there are more than just the teams that we know right now like what you brought up with Bill who are those mystery teams that might make something might make some blockbuster moves that shocks us all like who are those people um, and, and when are we going to find out when they when they see the light of day because I think Tom Brady's market right now is far more than the two teams that at least we know of as, as viable options being the Chargers and Tampa Bay, who's going to come out and, and make a wild trade, maybe a three-team trade, and get Tom Brady? Do you have a um, under-the-radar candidate? Is there somebody that you, if it's not Tampa, like who would be the one that would be really shocking if it happened? You know it would be shocking if Bill O'Brien did it? And I'm just, I'm not just saying that for the f- <laughs> I mean, I'm not just saying that. Trades to Sean Watson and then gets Tom Brady. I mean, who he, knows? He, with Bill O'Brien. He he he. It was his guy in uh, in in New England. I mean, he's worked with him before. And I'm just trying to think of wild ways that that could possibly happen. Deshaun is, you know, on the cusp of, you know, just entering his prime. He's on the verge of getting paid at some point. If somehow they could work out a deal where. They'd have to move people first, and obviously, but I mean, heck, they've got enough money. They probably could bring Brady in and then do the trades, but that would be the wildest of wild, getting him back in the AFC and and keeping him within the Patriots' way type system. I'm still going to go Dallas, trading Dak Prescott and then signing Tom Brady. That, you know, Dallas is historically involved in things like this from the Herschel Walker trade to having T.O. and on and on. So um, we'll see if we get any surprise and it'll be fun with Brady. If not, the expectation is that he likely goes to the Tampa Bay Bucks. So let's take a break here. When we come back, the Vikings have a bunch more draft picks than the last time we draft simmed. So you know what that means. It is time for Courtney, our draft scout, to make an appearance. When we return, you're listening to Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin here on Score North. If you're set to spend more time at home than in your car over the next several days, you can still listen to Score North in three different ways. The free Score North mobile app on your phone or tablet. Also, scorenorth.com or just by saying, Alexa, open Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. 
It's Purple Daily. Just a minute here. But first, we have to congratulate Jonathan Harrison on something. In the lead up to the free agent period, Jonathan wanted everyone to become a Vegas Raider. Why? I don't know. But every time we well, did... I was born there, so... Any, oh, I didn't know that. There's an affinity there. Okay, all right. That is why. Well, maybe that makes sense. I thought you just wanted... I just want chaos, but right, also craziness. I was born there. Uh, okay, I did not realize that. So you wanted everyone to be a Vegas Raider. Yeah. And so far, no one is a Vegas Raider until no. just moments ago. Jonathan, would you like to announce the newest Vegas Raider free agent I don't get signing? This one Very exciting. <laughs> Former ESPN Monday Night football analyst Jason Witten is now a Las Vegas Raider. All right. I don't good understand job, Jonathan. It. There you go. Your Vegas Raiders. They've already got a good tight end, man. Well, he's not going to be the number one. No. He's a thousand years old. And what was the deal with his hair on ESPN? <laughs> oh, he needed, he needed that thing that Brian Urlacher and... Um, Brian Urlacher just looks off-putting with the hair. I'm not it used to Brian it. Brian Urlacher Super and Ryan weird. Sandberg, the thing, all the billboards on 290 yeah. in yes, Chicago yes. where they advertise for My, the, the first time I went to Chicago, it was like one of those things that stuck out. Like, is that Brian Urlacher with hair? Uh, but we have another Vegas Raiders signing, and this oh. one is actually really good. Uh, they have signed Cowboys defensive tackle Malik Collins. And okay. he is a player that I had for the Vikings, potentially, a guy who was a really good situational pass rusher for them. So that could actually help their defensive line, which has struggled to put pressure on quarterbacks. Uh, if you missed it, Phillip Rivers is going to Indianapolis, and the rumors are mostly putting Tom Brady in Tampa Bay, but nothing official yet. And Adam Schefter sprinkled in a little reckless speculation that other teams are still having the conversation of whether Brady would be better than their quarterback. So, with all that said, Courtney Cronin, you're here. A lot has happened there are a lot of draft picks now that were not there the last time we draft sim. So it is time for Courtney, our draft scout, to make an appearance. She's here. Who has the quickest twitch? Whose hips are the most oily? Always the question. Who has the quickest long snap? Hand sizes, wingspans. Oh, no one knows hand sizes and wingspans True. better than Courtney, our draft scout. I mean, I have a lot of time true. in quarantine land over here in social distancing world to be Grind. evaluating all of the hand sizes and wingspans and the fastest long snaps. And how oily the hips are. Please don't forget that part of it. Absolutely not. You think when I'm watching film, that's the first thing I'm looking for. I'm just like, man, how oily are you? I know. It's incredible. Uh, all right. So... <laughs> I I did a draft sim last night, and I wrote about it at scorenorth.com, and I feel like we should go over it. I don't know. Are you draft simming yourself over there I at already, the moment? I, I did. And you I, just and draft I te- simmed? I just draft simmed, and I have one that I really like, but I also kind of wish that I had the flexibility and the ability to trade um, picks. I don't have that ability. Okay, I'll give you uh, – well – uh, the person Will you from, text me your password for the thing? Yeah, I'll forward you the email. The person from fanspeak.com saw that we were really enjoying the draft sims and <laughs> sent me a password so we could do trades. So uh, oh, yeah. we've got plenty of time for that down the road. So let's just roll with what we did for our draft sims here. Okay. Now the Vikings, out of the first 105 total picks, have five of them, uh, including two third-rounders and two first-rounders. So... At uh, If you want to ramp up some uh, NFL music for us, Jonathan, that would uh, create the atmosphere here we're looking for for a draft sim. 
22nd overall pick. Give me before your pick sort of your general thinking going into this where they're going to have two picks very close together. Well, I think that you could use one of those picks and package something else to move up, which is what I'd love to do. Um, but you can address off, you can address offense and defense. If, if, if you're just staying put at 22 and 25, you can do one and then the other because the cornerbacks are going to be there at 25. 22, though, you could – potentially put yourself in play for an offensive lineman, maybe a wide receiver from like the top 15 falls, maybe a quarterback. Um, so I would go Ooh. offense first. And that's exactly what I did. And, and I'm going to preface this with saying the contract extension that Kirk Cousins had is, again, a short-term deal. He's been the king of these short-term deals from the two franchise tags to the three-year deal he initially signed and now the two-year extension. The no-trade clause is gone. It's not like the Vikings are going to cut him after one year because they'd still be on the hook for $61 million. But that no-trade clause being gone opens up some flexibility. Now, I'm not saying that Kirk's going to be, you know, I mean, if he's if it's not great this year, they can't easily move on because finding somebody to inherit that salary, to, to move him around is one thing. But you need a quarterback on the roster. So you, you took a quarterback, quarterback in the first round? I did. Oh at 22, my gosh! I know. I went nuts. Uh, at twenty-two, I picked. This Jordan is why Love. we draft him. This is why we. This do is this. why we um, do it. I went with Jordan Love a because he was available. B because I'm thinking towards the future. Because again, we know this is a contract that, in its length, goes through the 2022 season. Now, will Kirk Cousins be on the roster at that point? Highly likely. I doubt that they, he's not on the roster within these next three years. I think that the price and the way that it's structured and the way that some of the concessions that both sides made, they're not locked into each other forever. He has the chance to go hit the market again at 33. But you need a backup quarterback, number one. And it's also great trade leverage for next year. Let's say Kirk is awesome and you want to extend him again before he has another $31 million cap hit in 2021. Get Jordan Love in your program. Draft. Develop. And at some point, that's going to pay off for you, whether it's on your roster or on someone else's. Wow, that is extremely bold and far more bold than I was. Uh, I would support drafting a quarterback always. I will never argue against it. If you tell me that you want to draft a quarterback in the fifth, I'm for it. You want to draft one in the first, even when you have one, go ahead. Because you always need to be good at that position if you're going to be anything. And we saw Aaron Rodgers sit for several years behind Brett Favre and then become one of the great quarterbacks ever. We saw Mahomes sit for a year and take over for Alex Smith. So if that was the plan, to draft someone in the first round and then have them sit behind Cousins for a couple years and decide down the road whether to trade him, then I'm into it. I think it's a good idea. And what we know is if you draft one high, you can always trade him for something, even if the guy isn't good, like with Josh Rosen. He gets traded for a second-round pick. So it's always a good That's my security blanket. Like, it's never going to fail you. Unless the guy gets seriously injured somehow and, and you're faced with that. But it's never going to be a bad option to draft a quarterback in the first round. Well, when I covered the Bills, I believe it was Kevin Cobb slipped on a mat walking out to the practice field and injured himself and had to miss a game. So you never do know. Um, I went with C.J. Henderson, the cornerback out of Florida. I was not thinking as boldly as you, as recklessly, some might say, uh, as you were. But C.J. Henderson is one of the best athletes at cornerback in this draft, if not the best athlete. He's played at Florida against a very high level of competition. His 2018 was outstanding. And considering that high level of competition and athleticism, even if it's not perfect the first year, 
he could probably step in the first year and give you somewhere in the ballpark of average play um, because he can make up for some of the technique things with his freakish athleticism. So I went C.J. Henderson 22. And there was a run on corners from... Where did Henderson go? Henderson went 12th in mind to the Raiders. Uh, basically, anywhere from 12 to 20, a bunch of them went off the board. Trayvon Diggs went 17th to the Cowboys. Jeff Okuda went to Je- the Jaguars at 20. Um, and that leads me into my second my second first-round pick. Mm-hmm. I got Christian, Christian Fulton uh, out oh, of LSU. I got him at 25. It's an immediate need for this team. Again, we are going to know so much more with these draft sims and and be able to project in such a better way once we figure out what the team's doing with Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes. I mean, free agency starts tomorrow at 3 o'clock Central Time. Do they get deals done with these guys shortly thereafter, before that? Are they letting them hit the open market? We shall see. But either way, you need to draft a corner this draft. You need to draft them high because you're probably going to need somebody to step in right away. Yep, and uh, you went with the corner who probably could step in faster in Fulton. I went with the guy with the higher ceiling in C.J. Henderson. Um, My draft is a little more shooting for long-term needs. Uh, With 25 what was your thinking? Or I'm sorry, your thinking was to get the the cornerback there. My thinking on 25 was I've got the corner now. I have to get a tackle because that is a major need for the future. And so if I'm kicking it down the road a little and I'm focusing on 2021, I get the high ceiling corner and then I am drafting Josh Jones, the offensive tackle from Houston, who is one of the best pass blockers in the nation and the best pass blocker, I believe, in this entire draft, um, maybe outside of uh, Andrew Thomas, the guy from Georgia. So Josh Jones, very good pass blocker. He's 6'7", but also graded, according to Pro Football Focus, very well in the zone running scheme. Uh, So seems to be a guy who could fit, but probably going from Houston to the NFL, he's going to need a year, but that's okay. You have a left tackle for right now. Stick with Riley Reef, Josh Jones next year, and be in good shape in the offensive line 2021. Good idea. Do you hate it? No, I don't. And I just, I'm so hesitant to think that they wouldn't try to be active and go get a tackle in free agency now when it's a very obvious way to assess the cap situation by releasing Riley Reeve, getting the cap savings, sending him in one of your new picks for, for Trent Williams. But in the event that that doesn't happen, because I'm not the one making these trades, um, I do like that because you need Riley Reeve for another year. He's a good average tackle, um, can be above average certain times. I mean, he's never going to be great, but he is solid for this team. Um, and you keep Brian O'Neill where he's at. Maybe your guy ends up taking over at left tackle. Maybe he ends up sliding to right a year from now, and then Brian O'Neill is finally ready to take over at left. Who knows? But getting one in your system uh, and using a higher pick to do that so you don't have to develop them as long, or at least watch the development process take as long, I think is smart. Or you could also look for a guard improvement right away, leave Riley yeah. Reef, maybe even give Reef a contract extension with the intention to cut him next sure. year. Which sure. And to move you sounds move weird. Guard but, right now. Yeah. I mean honestly if you I mean heck, that would take a, a trade or two, but if you wanted to move Reef inside to guard, because remember that was talked about last year and Mike yep. Zimmer kinda hinted that it is still on the table yep. this year, despite not having talked to Reef about anything. But um that's something that maybe in the coming weeks we will start to get a little bit more clarity on because then that could change what their draft strategy is. Good question from Twitter today, and this was available for me at 22 and 25. Would they draft Trayvon Diggs? 
<laughs> Someone asked me that last night. I mean, you that can't not ultimate. do it right. I, I mean, mean, if he's he, your best guy, you got to just take him. Be like, sorry, bro. You don't want to play yeah. with your brother anyway. Awkward. I yeah, don't know. I, yeah, I, it'd be uncomfortable, but I would still do it. This is professional. No, I mean like, that's it's it's life, and I mean it's it's a business as we know. Um, and if he's there, if he is the best available player there, you just, have a hard you time do passing it. that up. You yeah. got to do it. Uh, second round, they only have one second rounder, but this is where you could see them using the other draft capital to get another second round pick potentially, or move one of those thirds up into the second. Um, what were you thinking at twenty six? A lot of guys go off the board between twenty five and twenty six in the second mm-hmm. round. Well, I'm thinking I need to find Stephon Diggs' replacement, and I need to do it quickly because, yes, this is an offense that's predicated on a lot of 12 personnel, 22 personnel, two tight end sets, uh, multiple running backs on the field. That's not going to change, but you need to get somebody in there to just even the playing field out. I mean, the stats from last year, I know Adam Thielen was hurt, but the discrepancy from where Stephon Diggs was uh, to Adam Thielen was like the next highest grossing receiver on this team, just under 500 receiving yards. I mean, it's it's definitely glaring because it's like Stephon Diggs, big gap. Adam Thielen, big gap beyond that. And then it's like Laquan Treadwell, Chad Beebe, uh, Alexander Holland, just this conglomerate of dudes. Uh, so you need to be able to try to find ways to generate that production uh, and get some speed for it, too. So I went with Denzel Mims because he was there. Mm, great pick. Uh, the wide receiver out of Baylor. I've heard a lot of really good things on him, um, and it's a great value for where you're getting him in the second round. That is a great pick, and he was off the board for me, so I was not able to take him, but considered even taking him with the 25th pick because he looks like an excellent prospect, and people have talked about his character, maturity, intelligence, personality to go along with athleticism and receiving ability and route running, that that all sort of sounds like Stefan Diggs a little and, and is attractive. I also went receiver here because if you don't go receiver in the first, you better do it in the second, or then you're going to start to get to that next tier, even in a deep receiver draft. I went with Jalen Rieger out of TCU, a guy who didn't have amazing production this year, but also had very poor quarterback play, is an insane athlete. Absolutely bananas athleticism. Uh, I believe he can jump 42 inches in the air, which is... If I'm not mistaken, the same as Derrick Rose in his peak. So, um, <laughs> and he runs under a four-five. So somebody that could be a contested catch monster, even though he's not the tallest guy out there and a great athlete, to be able to take that other spot right away. And receiver can transition quickly to at least produce something, even if sure. it's not the star it takes to develop over a couple of years. A lot of times we at least see a role being played by second round receivers right away. Like Debo Samuel was very good for San Francisco on to the third round, two third round picks. Uh, the Vikings could always consider trading these for real players possibly. But uh, of course, since our, it's our draft sim, I made the, both of these picks uh, at 89 what was on your mind now that we're sort of past the extreme needs of corner offensive line? Well, you picked a quarterback, but you picked corner and wide receiver. Did you go offensive line here? No, I went defensive line here uh, for a number of different reasons. We know that Linville Joseph is gone. Is he coming back? Uh, I mean, there's always that possibility, but if he can go make more in a different defense, uh, maybe in the 3-4 somewhere and, and get paid differently, I guess the scale for him in that type of scheme would be different than it is in Mike Zimmer's defense. Anyways, um, you're going to need to replace that somehow. Now, you obviously can turn to Jaleel Johnson, 
Armand Watts. Um, who? I'm, this is Jalen Holmes. I was about to be like, who was their third or fourth round pick from two years ago? That yeah, just been sitting I'm not there. sure that that um, matters. Yeah, so Jordan Elliott out of Missouri, an in interior defensive line. That kid, I still I know Mike. What Mike Zimmer said about being able to manufacture uh, the interior push that you get to push the pocket from your uh, two tackle spots, but. You know, get somebody in there and to get it until it works because, yep. you know, LJ has been a big part of this. Um, but he kind of, I mean, he's a zero, he's a zero or two technique tackle at this point. I mean, there, there's not much more that he can do, um, in that defense. And I think his ceiling was very, very much where it was. Um, so. But you can't run Mata off out there again. You no, just, you just I, can't. I just, try he's too that. small. He's yeah. too small. You can't um, you can't have Holmes and Mata'afa combined for, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 snaps and get zero pressures and think that that's going to be just fine. Like you you need somebody in there. I I agree with your pick in the 3rd round. If you had selected a defensive tackle in the 1st, I would really question that, but in the 3rd, of course. And I went defensive line also with Curtis Weaver out of Boise State. This dude has production like crazy. 15 sacks last year, double-digit sacks three straight years for Boise State. Kind of reminds me of an Afadi Adenabo type of guy that you know didn't play against the best competition but really dominated that competition and maybe could become a technician over a couple of years. Because I'm not... Speaking, well, I'm, I'm speaking just not of Afadi, this... it's going to be interesting, though. I mean, that's just to... Not to interrupt, but... Now that we know Stephen Weatherly is not going to come back to the Vikings, yeah. since he agreed in principle to that deal with Carolina. I mean, they clearly love what they are seeing in terms of his progression and where he's at right now. I am really curious to see how they use him next year. And I think that they should draft a defensive end and have Adenabo and the draft pick rotate and move yeah. on from Everson Griffin. I just That's don't see how they fit him in with the, the cap situation that they have. So I went Curtis Weaver there, and with my third third-round pick, I went with Lamar Jackson. Oh, yeah, baby. The, corner the other Lamar Jackson. Out of Nebraska, right. Yeah, a, t- a tall corner out of Nebraska who had really good statistics but maybe doesn't have the elite athleticism, but that's kind of what you get in the third round. So I ended up going two corners, a tackle, wide receiver, and an edge rusher. So who did you I go like with your last third? I went with Ben Barch, who is the St. John's offensive tackle. Um, I know that there's been a lot of really positive hype around this guy. He's a little, I mean, he's probably going to take, he's one of those small school risks. That we Remember we sat with Rick Spielman yep. last year and he kind of explained to us about the process that they went through with Ole Udo. Um, and just that it's different when you just don't have that type of competition that you go against and how you judge a player who plays at a place like Nebraska or Minnesota or even like a you know a bigger name school like Ohio State, Penn State, anything like that versus someone who played at Division Three St. John's. Now, I would like to see him get in here, assuming everything's kind of staying put with Reef staying and Barch being able to mix in here as a not necessarily a rotational guy. Not saying that he'll get much playing time at all, but learn. This is his this is his redshirt season, um, and see what you have with him. I mean, for a third round pick. The worst you get is is one year of good production, and then like you know, just like a Pat Elfline type situation. He was a third round pick, and I'm not comparing a center to an offensive tackle in that sense, but just based on can he be good enough until you can move on? And I think that that is a possibility. Um, get somebody in, let him learn your offense, let him mold and, and get bigger and grow. I mean, we saw the transition Brian O'Neill took on, and look at where he's at. 61st overall pick for them two years ago certainly panned out. Barch is athletic. He's the same sort of, um, I guess, the same sort of player 
where he has a background playing a number of different positions, and, and he's just dominant. I mean, I'm really curious to see what he looks like going against real competition, but there's time for that. And, and let him grow, let him get seasoned in your offense, and go from there. Yeah, I like that idea. The people who send us um, draft sims that are all Minnesota are actually good. <laughs> like the Antoine Winfield, Tyler Johnson, Ben Barch. I like all of those guys relative to where they're likely to go. So that's a three-round draft sim for you. And I think both of us have our mind uh, on the future with the draft while still trying to fill some needs for 2020. But I just feel like I'm saying it over and over again. But when I go about this, and I think with the Vikings, when they go about this, they should be thinking, what are our 2021 needs and where could these guys possibly contribute and not hey, go out there and play shutdown corner, and that's what we expect from you. Or, hey, if you're Denzel Mims or Jalen Rieger, like you have to be a superstar right away. You have to be Stephon Diggs, because that is where you often get yourself into trouble. So and, we will. Um, you bring up a good point, though, about the Diggs. Can we just discuss this really quick before the break? I know there are a lot of people who are questioning, well, how are they going to replace him? You can't, just re- you can't just find a Diggs talent in round one because you could potentially land with a Laquan Treadwell. Well, you also can't say, oh, they found him in the fifth round. Like, they can do it again. There's a lot of luck that's involved with that. I don't know that you necessarily need to replace every little thing that he brought to the table because he de- he developed over five seasons in Minnesota. It took time. It wasn't an immediate thing with him. Um, who's to say that that can't come from a third-round pick or higher? Like, Treadwell had red flags beforehand. I, you know, I know that we can look at this in hindsight and kind of, you know, disagree with the way that the situation went and, and say and you know make crazy statements that they could have drafted Michael Thomas, whatever. But like, you know, the red flags were out there. It wasn't like, oh, he was this great prospect and everybody thought he was awesome. Guy never ran a forty and he's coming off a massive leg injury. This was possible to happen. It wasn't just like he was great and then all of a sudden he got to the NFL and couldn't perform. Like, the red flags were there. So to say that it could be just the same with whoever they get, if they do spend a first-round pick to try to trade up to get Jerry Judy or CeeDee Lamb, they still have to address it. But I'm not so keen on the fact that you have to you have to expect that you will get exactly what you get out of Stephon Diggs right away because it took him a lot of time to get to where he is right now, at least three seasons. Yep, and it... It almost always does. I mean, there are only a handful of players every year who are great right away, and to expect that from anyone is unfair. I mean, all the numbers say year two, year three, that's when players go from understanding the NFL in their first season to really good. And maybe that's their expectation for Irv Smith. So, okay, uh, yeah, you can expect the gain there, but I don't expect the gain from Kyle Rudolph. And there's another guy who probably isn't super happy with what's gone on over the last year himself. Now seeing Diggs, his longtime teammate, go, seeing his catch numbers being reduced significantly, and then another tight end being expected to play a huge role. And, uh, you know, we'll see what they decide to do. But I think we're on the same page that a receiver could come in potentially right away. But if you expect them to be Stephon Diggs, uh, very, very unlikely. Go draft to draft to draft and look at how many guys were. Look at his 40. Look at his three cone. Look at his college production. And then they don't become anywhere close. There's a reason he's top 15 out of what? How many? Probably over 100 receivers who played in the NFL this year and hundreds over his time 
as uh, as a Minnesota Vikings. So that will be a very difficult spot to just fill in with whoever you draft. All right, let's take a break. and we come back, we will talk to a former NFL wide receiver. He used to play for the Buffalo Bills and was on Bills Radio for a while, uh, Donald Jones, who is great at breaking it down. And once upon a time, we grinded film together, Courtney. So uh, Donald knows the game really well. He's going to break down the Stephon Diggs trade when we return here on Purple Daily. Listen and win with the free Score North mobile app. Prizes up for grabs this month include three equalizer wedges and a precision milled forged putter courtesy of the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. MLB The Show 20 for PS4, which now includes full minor league rosters and more. Get it now at theshow.com. Download the free Score North mobile app, register your app, and you could be a winner. Jonathan here with the Score North download. If you're set to spend more time at home than in your car over the next several days, you can still listen to Score North three different ways. The first one, the free Score North app on your Apple, on your phone or tablet. The second one, scorenorth.com. Or the third one, just by saying Alexa, open Score North. Over at Score North's YouTube account, just search on YouTube, Score North, go to the channel. One of the newer videos that we have is a new series we are doing over there called What If? And the first the first subject of the What If series is what if Teddy Bridgewater didn't get hurt? Matthew Collar for four minutes takes you through all the different scenarios and all the different talkers about what if Teddy Bridgewater didn't get hurt and the Vikings still had him as their QB. You can go find that over at the Score North YouTube channel for free right now. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Now we welcome into the show friend of mine, former Buffalo Bills wide receiver, also used to be on Buffalo Bills uh, radio, and a uh, Stefan Diggs route running admirer, uh, Donald Jones. What's up, Donald? I'm good, man. How you doing? I am doing good. The show it's been a little while. It has, it has. Normally, I just text you and say, "Do you want to talk some football?" And then uh, I give you a tape grinding assignment, and you explain football to me. So let's do that. Um, It must have been maybe I don't know a year ago, six months, where we did just that. I sent you a bunch of clips of Stephon Diggs, and you broke them down in ridiculous receiver detail. And we talked about just how purely excellent he is as a route runner. Now that the Vikings have traded him to your Buffalo Bills. Uh, what excites you about Buffalo having Stephon Diggs now? Um, you know what? It's, it's right now I'm kind of torn because, you know, my biggest thing with the Bills is they need a they need one of those really fast guys going up the sideline. When you have a quarterback like like Josh Allen or, you know, the Pat Mahomes of the world, those guys with the big, big arms, you need to have a guy who can get up the field. And that's not to say Stephon Diggs can't, but he's more of a route-running specialist. Mm-hmm. And Josh Allen is a guy who, in his career from college till now, has shown issues with his accuracy. You know, So I'm kind of torn. Um, I think Stephon Diggs is a great receiver. We've talked about it on this on this show. But I, I'm just torn on, on actually what they're trying to do with him because they kind of have guys that can work the underneath stuff already. So it seems, Donald, like he's clearly comes into this situation and gets to become the number one receiver because he's. it shouldn't be difficult for him, knowing his pedigree, knowing all the things he's good at, to beat out Cole Beasley, beat out John Brown for that job. What does his role become, though? I mean, does he get inundated with being asked to do just about everything? I mean, I know you mentioned they have guys who, you know, are more predicated on, on running underneath stuff and being that for Josh Allen. But what does Stefan Diggs bring to the table that you think is going to elevate Allen's game the most? 
I mean, I think Stephon Diggs brings a guy who can obviously work the underneath stuff. Now, he can get down the field. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But his specialty is route running. But I think one of the biggest things that he can do is catch the ball and run after the catch. And I think that's something that they need. Um, But once again, it's all predicated on ball placement by the quarterback. You know, so if you have a quarterback who is a little bit off with his throws, if I'm running routes underneath and I kill somebody on my route, but you throw the ball behind me or low or too high, that limits what I can do after the catch. Stephon Diggs is a great receiver in this league. He can catch the ball, and he's like a running back after he catches it, but the quarterback has to place the ball in the right area. So it's going to be interesting to see if he can get better with his accuracy issues. Well, what he dealt with here, Donald, was that Kirk Cousins would not throw him the ball unless he was absolutely <laughs> wide open or Kirk held on to it too long and got sacked all the time, uh, at least in the biggest games. And that's one of the reasons, I think, for Stephon Diggs' frustration. Now, you are a former Diva wide receiver yourself, of course. Um <laughs> People don't know how opposite uh, th- that is um, of your actual personality, but what did you make of how he handled things on Twitter? Because I I understand his frustration, but putting it out there the way that he did, I can see where that would rub people the wrong way. I know the, the Bills especially have put a great deal of emphasis on culture, but I, I never saw Diggs as necessarily a culture problem until last year where he got really frustrated and started to express that frustration. So when you're in a locker room and you have a player who is vocal about some of their issues, what is that like and how could that affect Buffalo if it doesn't go well right away? You know what? Wide receivers and DBs are probably the most vocal people on on every team. You know, and you're you're taught to be that way from when you're young. I was kind of the uh, the outlaw in that, in that whole thing because I wasn't the vocal person when I was playing. Um, but if you pay a guy a certain amount of money, he feels like okay, I'm the guy, and then all of a sudden he's not getting the ball. He's like, yo, what? Why am I not getting the ball? I'm getting paid like this. But I'm not getting the ball. And see, I think where people really mess up, and I'm talking just a general fan, is they believe that, well, you're getting paid all this money, so you should be quiet. Well, no, I mean, I'm getting paid, but I, I, I want to be able to perform like I'm getting paid because what happens is if you pay me, but then I'm not getting the ball, now I'm looked at as, as a bust. You know, right. and, and people, won't, people won't be able to watch the All-22 film and see that I'm actually wide open I'm just not getting the ball. He's not looking my way. All you're going to say is, man, we paid this guy all this money, and he's not producing at all. You know, so wide receivers want the ball. They want to be able to make plays, um, and they want to be able to make plays in the biggest situations. You know, so hopefully now going to Buffalo, he'll understand. The biggest thing is to understand that Josh Allen is still a young quarterback, you know, and he's going to have two guys on the team that, you know, he's played with a year for uh, or a year with. Now and and you're talking about Cole Beasley and and Brown, you know. So hopefully Stephon Diggs can come in, fit right in. Who knows what they're going to do in the draft? I wouldn't be shocked. They still end up drafting a receiver early because last year was a huge problem with the receiver position. It's just going to be a competition, and may the best man win once you get into camp, uh, training camp. I can't help but think though that the situation he's going to with who's going to be throwing him the ball is. I guess I don't want to say the word worse, but it's it's not going to be any better than it was with Kirk Cousins. I mean, yes, 
there's the argument that Kirk wasn't throwing to him on, on a number of different occasions, but Kirk's accuracy has never been, and his arm strength has never been something that's been knocked. Like, that's certainly, like you mentioned, Josh is a young quarterback, and he's still developing. Do How are the Bills going to handle this, though, if things don't go well, if, if those accuracy issues start to frustrate Stefan? I mean, how do you foresee something like this playing out? Because that's certainly something they've had to take into consideration when they decided to make this trade and bring him in, just knowing that he isn't afraid to let you know how he's feeling. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sure Coach McDermott out in Buffalo and even Brandon Bean, when they got on the phone with him, they let him know what the deal was from the beginning. And and I'm sure Stephon Diggs has now had a chance to, now that he's, you know, has been traded, he's had a chance to watch film of Josh Allen and can see some of the things that he can do well and some of the things that he doesn't do well and needs work on. And I'm sure Stephon Diggs is going, being the vocal guy that he is, he's going to reach out to Josh Allen probably before Josh Allen reaches out to him and say, hey, we need to get into the film room, A, B, we need to get on the field working out together so that we can get all of this stuff together. Uh, accuracy issues, I need you to understand where I'm going to be, and I need for me to understand where you want me to be um, so that once we get into training camp and we get into the season, everything is good. Um, hopefully we don't have any issues, but we all know if you're not winning, you know your receivers are going to make it known, especially if they're not getting the ball. They're going to make it known that you need to make a change here, you know. And it's not like it's not like Stephon Diggs chose this place; he was traded to this place, mm-hmm. you know. So hopefully, you know, hopefully we don't have those issues. Hopefully they can find themselves in the playoffs again. That usually will quiet guys down. Former Buffalo Bills wide receiver Donald Jones joining us now. Uh, Donald, here in Minnesota, we just did draft simulations, and both Courtney and I took wide receivers um, in the second round. I want you to explain just how tough it is as a rookie receiver going into the NFL because we're talking about uh, guys from Baylor or TCU or you know wherever it might be where the offenses are nowhere near as complicated as they are in the NFL. And we see so many great receiver prospects go bust. I was just looking the other day at the 2015 draft. Amari Cooper is really good, but Stephon Diggs outperformed and catches everyone else. And there were five first-round wide receivers, a lot of them either not not in the league or just barely in the league at this point, only a few years later. Why is that transition so difficult? Man, oh, there's a, there's a couple of layers to this. So I'm going I'm to get into Break wide receiver down. class really quick. All right, so the first layer is first-round guys in the NFL, uh, they don't work as hard. A lot of them, they don't work as hard as later-round guys. You know, I think just, there's some bias there on your part, Donald. That's, that's undrafted uh, bias, yeah. I'm just saying. It's, it's, it's undrafted bias, but it's the truth. You see a lot of guys that go early. End up bust, but and it has a lot to do with um, just the pressure that you have on you to actually perform right away. Playing wide receiver is very hard to, to transition from college to the pros, and that's because the offenses in college, especially if you're talking about the TCU's, these spread open offenses, which we're seeing really all over the board now, unless you're coming from Alabama, these these wide open offenses, these guys are not even calling plays in the huddle. So you have to now learn how to hear the play in the huddle get out to the line of scrimmage, understand what the defense is trying to do to you, understand what you're trying to do to them, and then run a route. Oh, and they just blitzed off my, you know, they just blitzed the linebacker and I'm supposed to be hot right now. Like, there's a lot that you have to think about in the course of 30-whatever seconds that you have to run a play, you know. So I think that transition is hard. And then you also have the fact that 
DBs actually run the routes with you. Mm-hmm. You know, in college, you'll find yourself wide open a lot of the time. When you get to the league, I mean, these dudes will cover you man-to-man all day long. And they press you a lot more than they do in college, you know. So now it's like, oh, man, I never had to really work off of bump-and-run coverage, and now I have to do that. So, it's, it's, I mean, there's a bunch of different layers to playing wide receiver and making that transition. And it's hard, you know. You have some guys that really are able to make that transition, and you have other guys that can't do it right away, and it takes them a couple of years. And then you have you also have the quarterback, which is the guy who's throwing you the ball. He has to have faith in you. Mm-hmm. If he has no faith in you, then you're going to end up a bust. It's just what it is because he's not going to throw you the ball, and then the team is going to cut you. So we know that the landscape of the AFC East has changed with Tom Brady saying he's not going back to New England. Um, how how does this fare for the Buffalo Bills, you think, in 2020? It feels like the division's wide open at this point, regardless of who the Patriots bring in at quarterback. I mean, do you see them in probably their best position in a while to win the division? Let me. Can I rephrase the question? Donald, are you jumping through a flaming table? <laughs> I'm not jumping through. I'm not jumping through anything flaming, and I'm not jumping through one table at all. I will watch everybody else jump through tables. They can continue to do that, and I'll watch from afar. Um, you know, I think the Bills are in a situation right now, and really every team in this division, you see the Dolphins spend a lot of money, um, which is not really – that's something that they typically do, spend a lot of money on guys. But I think right now everybody in that division has to look at it right now and say, man, this division is wide open, which is crazy because Tom Brady is one guy, but he's been so dominant working alongside Bill Belichick for these last 20 years that it's like you have to look at it that way. So I think everybody in this division is, is you know, everybody's happy, but especially the Bills finding the season they just came off of and how good they did last year, which was really unexpected, and looking at the money that they have in free agency. Hopefully they can get some really good guys in. They can draft well, and uh, they can find themselves winning that division coming off of last year. Okay, last thing for you. Um, you were briefly teammates with Tom Brady. I want you to just tell me what it's like to be teammates with Tom Brady. And then also, yeah, how weird is it if he ends up a Tampa Bay Buccaneer? Oof, man. You know, I, I hear a lot of people saying, well, first of all, being teammates with Tom Brady was, was interesting. Um, he's, he's a superstar in every aspect of the word. I mean, that guy, it would be times where he wasn't there. He had to do you know, a Uggs commercial in Australia. It was, it was weird, you know. <laughs> it was really weird. So, um, but it was fun. I mean, he, he he's still a cool guy. He talk, he talks about his personal life, all that stuff. You know, he's very personable. So it wasn't like he was a diva. Um, and he works harder than everybody on the team. That's the one thing you're going to get with Tom Brady. That dude works harder than anybody that I ever worked with. You know, so it was, it was cool to actually see a guy the level of success that he had, even at the time when I was with the Patriots, um, still be able to work that hard to try to just win and win and win every single year, regardless if they put more air in the balls or took less air out of the balls. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. Um, so, you know, in, in terms of where I think he's going to end up, I don't see him going to Tampa. I see him going to L.A. with the Chargers. I think that team is a little bit more positioned to win right now. Um I, you know, I think Phillip Rivers is going to be a super. I think he's going to be a Hall of Famer. But I think Phillip Rivers was a guy who couldn't really necessarily make the big plays in the biggest games. And we've seen it year after year with him 
in the playoffs is not be able to get it done. And I think the Chargers are positioned with the defense that they have, the running game that they have, and some weapons at the receiver position. They'll probably add some more weapons there where he feels like I can go there and I can win. Not to mention that Tom Brady is from California, and I think he wants to go home now. So where it's a little bit warmer, it's L.A. He can really start to work on his TB12 company. <laughs> um, and, and it's, it's just like this. Yeah, exactly. Let's just go ahead, go ahead home. We can make more money. His wife is his wife, um, and you know, everybody be happy. <laughs> uh, Donald, it's always uh, so great to catch up with you, and let's do it more often. I will, I will text you more often. Let's talk some football because it's always great to get you to uh, break things down. And I really appreciate you coming on, talking digs trade and an uh, NFL man. So take care, hey. stay viruslessness, virusless. Man. Whatever. Man, it's Stay crazy indoors. out here in the tri-state area. I'm telling you, it is, it is crazy out here. I mean, they're shutting us down. They're quarantining all of us out here on the East Coast, especially in the tri-state area. If you're close to New York City, it's like go in the house and don't come back out, you know. So, um, you know, we got nothing but time to talk. I so know, I know. Let's talk, grind some tape, know. man. Man, we got nothing else to talk about. There's no <laughs> other sports going on. It's crazy. All right, we'll do it again soon, Donald. You're the best, man. Take care. All right, man. Thank you. Yep, Donald Jones played for the Bills uh, a few years ago, and he ended up retiring early because of a kidney disease and wrote a really great book called The Next Quarter, Scoring Against Kidney Disease. So if you have gone through something similar, maybe it's something to look up. So he is the best. All right, uh, reactions from that. And then I got something cool that we've been working on for a little while that I want to play on the air to end the show. So final thoughts, I guess, for today, Courtney, on where we stand with the Vikings. Probably no different than we were two hours ago. I still think that they came away on top with the Stephon Diggs trade. I think it was the best for all parties involved. It's honestly not a bad landing spot for Stephon at all. Um, they could have shipped him off a bunch worse places than Buffalo, a team that, like we said, now has a clear path to at least it looks on paper that way to winning the division and they don't have Tom Brady there anymore so it's a party in Buffalo New York today Um, but as it stands with the Vikings I just caution people before we start jumping into the thing of well blow it up burn it all down that they still have time to make moves like they're not done right now they still have to figure out what they're doing with a handful of their own free agents and I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility that they go be active and, and, and get somebody else's free agent, however you have to, whether it's um, you know using the draft capital you just earned, maybe engaging in a trade to make a big splash. There's still time. Um, and to replace Stephon Diggs and all that he did here in Minnesota, I mean, he, wasn't, he is an icon. Uh, he will always be remembered for the Minneapolis miracle and what he did for this franchise beyond that. Um, he was always more than one half of the Thielen and Diggs combo, and now he gets a chance to go show that. So I think, I mean, I'm happy for him in the sense that, you know, he gets to go get a fresh start. It's what he's wanted. It's what he's hinted at wanting for a while now. And, and the Vikings, in a way, get to get their own fresh start, too. The way that I look at it, uh, and we'll have plenty of more time to discuss, is you got great return but you can't win a trade when you have to trade Stefan Diggs is the way that I would tend to. I never would have traded. I I'm, I know. And I never would have traded him. Like if I was in that situation, unless it's a haul that you cannot turn down, like everybody's available for the right price. And, and that's what it came down to. 
Yep, and so they end up with a first-round pick and plenty more for us to do in terms of draft simulation. So before we wrap things up, Teddy Bridgewater is signing with the Carolina Panthers, which is truly, truly incredible. It was one of my first days in Minnesota moving here to cover the Vikings that Bridgewater got hurt. And talk to anybody about Teddy Bridgewater, and they will tell you that he is one of the best teammates, the biggest heart, the toughest leader. He's a guy that, as soon as he got drafted, he brought a pink Cadillac for his mother. Like he's that. Oh, kind that of person, that that right? pulled so, on my heartstrings when that happened. I know, just the pink the, Escalade. And uh, the moment in Cincinnati when the entire crowd was cheering Teddy was uh, one of the craziest things that I've ever seen. So we put together an audio feature that we're going to play to end the show, and uh, we'll get back together soon again, Courtney. Uh, that uh, is also on YouTube, and we put it with a bunch of video and and things like that. So make sure you check it out on youtube as well but it's a an audio feature my thoughts kind of on teddy bridgewater there's a phenomenon in minnesota that's unlike any other nfl state it happens every year at the night practice and training camp inside sports bars on game day it happens when people are taking pictures on the dragon boat outside of u.s bank stadium and inside the most expensive suites it happens when two vikings fans are wearing number five jerseys and they see each other they nod they give a half smile and one of them says it first what if yeah i know the other one says and then they shake their heads and just say teddy Teddy Bridgewater's presence is felt wherever Minnesota Vikings fans are. If you counted the number of jerseys on game days worn by fans, he might still be number one, even two years into the Kirk Cousins era. And every time Cousins gets sacked or fails to come through in a big spot, all those number five wearers think the same thing at the same time. What if Teddy never got hurt? When the Minnesota Vikings moved on from Teddy and signed Kirk Cousins, everyone understood the team was coming off of a 13-3 season and couldn't risk having it all fall apart because his knee wasn't fully healed. Cousins was a 4,000-yard quarterback who just needed a defense and a running game. Everyone got it. But in the hearts of the number five wearers, they knew that Teddy would be back under center. They just didn't know where because that's just Teddy. They weren't surprised to see him prove the doctors wrong and play again for the Jets in preseason or finally see him back in starting action when he went 5-0 and for the New Orleans Saints. Against some winning teams, I might add. They also weren't surprised to see him make a throw on the run after everything broke down or win an ugly 12-10 game, because that's Teddy. The number five wearers, they are the ones who still wonder if someday Teddy will return to Minnesota and live out what could have been. The Vikings have a history of quarterbacks who made you want to dream. Randall Cunningham coming out of retirement to lead one of the great offenses in history. Wade Wilson and Case Keenum 30 years apart going to the NFC title game. And then Teddy Two Gloves, the guy the NFL passed over for Johnny Manziel. The guy with the heart and the clutch gene and the leadership to make everyone around him believe, even those in the stands. In this way, Kirk Cousins has always been in a tough spot with Vikings fans. He was the little engine that could in D.C., but not here. In Minnesota, he's the hired gun. He's the CEO. He's Mr. 84 million. It's not quite fair to Kirk, honestly. He's played really well. PFF ranked him as the sixth best quarterback in the NFL in 2019. But to the number five wearers, the only thing that matters is whether you show those Teddy traits. 
two years in a row without an NFC North title, one playoff win. There weren't many of those traits to be found. And now fans are conflicted. They want those Teddy traits, but they also have fear of the ghosts of Christian Ponder and Tavares Jackson, too. They know the risks of hoping the next rookie is the answer. But what is the answer for the Vikings at quarterback? Teddy isn't coming back. I'm sorry, number five faithful. But is it fair to be so harsh on Cousins because he isn't Teddy? Or do you have to be like Teddy in many ways in order to bring home a trophy? The Vikings will make their call at quarterback and will all ride the quarterback roller coaster that has defined this franchise's history past Fran Tarkington. But no matter what they decide, the number fives will still be there wherever Vikings fans are. And they will always wonder, what if? Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar, or pie made with fresh, cosmic, crisp apples. There are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy 5 or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.